is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led your steadfast love, in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Lord God, we certainly worship you today as a holy God. There's none beside you. There's none like you. There's no, there's no one else except you. And today we declare you our holy God, awesome in holiness. Lord Jesus, let our praise and our worship to you today not only be something that is acceptable and pleasing in your sight, but let the very fact that we bring ourselves to the place of declaring you holy, let it change us from the inside out. Do a work in us, Lord God. We join with millions of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life today and saying, holy is our God, holy. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for who you are and who you will continue to be in our lives. Thank you for this time. And I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, we still continue in this unusual setting. Uh, no one really knows yet how long we will have to keep doing this. Uh, but as I'll speak in a few minutes, I'll speak about the fact that um, there is no there is no going back to whatever is normal. We all have a new normal, and we read headlines all all the time, whether they be in social media or uh, actual print or whatever websites. We we read headlines looking for hope and uh, things that can encourage us. And I thought that in the, in the sense of a little levity, I'd read you a few headlines this morning. Um, the first one says, kids make nutritious snacks. You go ahead and laugh. I can hear you from your living room. Uh, another one says, Utah Poison Center reminds everyone not to take poison. All right, these are federal agents raid a gun shop and they found weapons. And a new study of obesity looks for a larger test group. Well, after we're in quarantined or whatever this is supposed to be for so long, they can, they can be easy to do. Uh, the uh, fish need water. The fed says two sisters were reunited after 18 years in the checkout. Now, some of you been to a grocery store or, a, uh, I, I spent it, my wife and I spent an hour yesterday waiting for on one piece of plywood from a certain uh, store that begins with V and ends with depot a grandmother of eight makes a hole in one. And grandparents know you wanted to do that. And something went wrong in the jet crash, experts say. 
Well, you know, these are the people that we're putting our hands in and putting all of our confidence in. I'm sure that makes you happy uh, to have those things, those headlines. And I didn't read you near all of them. There's, there's a lot more, but that just sort of gets you an idea of what you can find in the news. Uh, if you look in all the wrong places, as Johnny Lee said. Um, uh, today, there are no announcements. That's the, the announcement is there are no announcements. As we uh, begin to open up into God's Word, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to look at Jeremiah chapter 48. And uh, you might want to start turning or flipping or tapping your screen or whatever it is that gets you there. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about change today. And uh, I was reminded of this story. A man from the back mountains of Tennessee, they always pick on Tennessee, found himself one day in a large city, he and his son, for the first time standing outside an elevator. This is the first time he had ever seen an elevator. One of our granddaughters told me she rode up and down in an alligator one time. So he watched as an old haggard woman hobbled on and the doors closed. And a few minutes later, the doors opened and a young, attractive woman smartly watched, uh, marched off smartly. She walked out. Father turned to his son. He said, Billy, go get your mother. Change. He was looking for some kind of a change. Um, it's human nature for us to resist change. It's human nature for us to want to things to stay the same. We get bent out of shape when things change. And I was reminded of this story. This is true, by the way. I don't know about the lady in the elevator, whether that was true or not. When the railroads were first introduced to the United States, some folks feared that they may be the downfall of our nation. Here's an excerpt from a letter to then-President Jackson. Yes, that's old hickory. Dated January 31st, 1829. And it says this, As you may know, Mr. President, Railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Shoot, my wife does that out in the driveway, 15 miles an hour. And this was signed, Martin Van Buren, governor of New York. So if you want to get on the governor of New York for anything in current circumstances, uh, know that he wasn't the first one. Change. The title that I've given to this message today is The Next Latter Glory. The next latter glory. And what does that mean? Well, last week we read from the book of Haggai, uh, and it's, it taught us that the shaking that God talked about in those passages, which is repeated in Hebrews, the shaking brings the church to a new latter glory. To a new latter glory. The, the verse says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in that case, he was talking about uh, the actual temple, but by the time we get into the book of Hebrews, we're talking about the spiritual temple, which is God's church, latter glory. Whenever there's something, whatever that something is, 
that causes shaking, that causes, that gets our attention, we remember that the latter glory of whatever we've been through is greater than the former glory. I'm submitting to you today that there is not just one latter glory, that, that it's an incremental thing. I also want to remind us that last week we read these words, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. My spirit remains, the word remains, obviously, this is kind of like one of those headlines, means that it's never left and it's still there. Fear not. Now, I want to just let you in on a little secret that when God says fear not, it's usually a good time to duck. When he says fear not, something's coming for us to not fear. The question we have to ask ourselves during this time, what does the church look like after a time of shaking? What does God's church look like? What does the church around the world look like? What does the local church look like? And I'll go ahead and tell you the answer is that I have no idea. But it's going to look different. It already looks different. I believe that in this time that we're in, in now, when, let me tell you, God is not, was not sitting in heaven and, and woke up from a nap and said, well, what in the world's going on down there? COVID-19, what is that? I, I don't know what that, no, God said, you can, you can determine for yourself the source. Uh, that's not important to me today, but God said, here's what we're going to do with that. God never sees anything that he doesn't find a tool for his efficiency. I believe God's first target in all of what's going on today, all of the different uh, difficulties and challenges we're facing, the, the being uncomfortable, God's first target is his church. We want to... We want to say God's judging the world, and we want to say God's pronouncing a judgment on the world, and that may or may not be true. But Peter said this. He said this is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And I believe God is using these circumstances and these times to fashion and refashion his church. I believe he's using the circumstances today to to mold his church and bring his church from one glory to another, knowing this is not the last latter glory, unless he was to come back soon, and you can determine what soon is. The church of Jesus Christ, especially in America or the West, is a church that has become self-absorbed, self-consumed, and and I'll give you this quote. I think it's from me, but I'm not sure. He who is full of himself leaves no room for God. He or the church that is full of itself leaves no room for God. And we must reassess as churches and as the church what we have done with the church. Now, we in the West, and I don't mean the West household, Carrie. But we in the Western church have made the church a business or a club to belong to. We have so 
Lord, help me to not rant, but help me to tell the truth. We have so bought into marketing churches. We've so bought into adopting business principles into how to market our church that we have lost a lot and maybe all of what God was after in creating this business that we try to compete with other businesses in the community, or we've just tried to create this club that people can belong to. I'm going to tell you something. If he isn't, God will judge that. I think he is. I think he's judging his church today, and I think he's got our attention. It's like taking the dog by the ears, and I'm not calling you a dog because this includes me too. I guess we're all dogs. He's taking the dog by the ears, and he's saying, now listen to me. Some of you remember when you've had small children, and and they've been sitting in your lap, and they try to say something to you whether you understand them or not, and they will take your chin and pull your chin around where they can you can see face to face so that you can hear what they're saying. God has his hand on the chin of the church today. And he's turning it. Relying on our own strength, whether it be individuals or a church, is basically a house of cards. If you've never tried to build a house of cards, you ought to try it sometime. You can get a good ways up if you're really good, but just exhale too much and your cards your house of cards comes down. And that requires God to let us know just how far our strength will or will not take us. It requires God when we try to go out on our own and create this entity that we can market like a business. It requires God to just take his hand off for a minute and say, all right, kids, go do it your way and let me know how that turns out. And we realize that it's his church. It's not our church. We are a self-absorbed, self-contained, and we are a self-powered entity. It's too often, too often, we have found a way to function without the power of his Holy Spirit, without the direction of his word. Martin Luther said a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. We've got to return to that kind of thinking when it comes to the church. We're going to talk about change today, but we're going to talk about change as it pertains to individuals. We're going to talk about change as it pertains to the spiritual family. To understand that, we must realize that God is primarily a God of movement. There is no static God. God is always moving. As a matter of fact, what we call the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, is an account of people advancing. An account of people advancing. We must remember that this Christian life is not, uh, is not just get saved and quit cussing and talking bad about people and quit drinking and smoking and chewing and all that stuff that, and running with those who do. It's not about that. It's about a journey. It begins a journey. I heard Pastor Jack Hayford say one time, for those of you in this audience who have not yet begun your journey with Jesus, to me, that's the best evangelistic call you can give. It's not just about straightening up. It's about following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you'll straighten up. But we should, as believers and as God's people, we should endeavor to help people begin their journey and understand that it is a journey. It's, it's a group of people advancing. 
So in Jeremiah 48, we're going to take a look at just two verses. I know you're thinking, man, you only want to read two verses. Yes, that's all I'm going to read today. Uh, Moab is obviously a nation of people that God is judging. They have a great history. You can go back and study. You can read all this chapter. Uh, but God is basically pronouncing judgment upon Moab as a nation. And in the, in the midst of his judgment, he just gives us these two verses. Uh, Moab, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11, and it reads this way. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him and his scent is not changed. Verse 12. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send to him pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces. Then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. Their confidence. Moab was at ease. Is it possible that the American church in many ways, has been at ease. We have found our groove. We have been, we found a way to be self-sustaining and we've created the right church growth programs and adopted those. Is it possible that that has caused us to find a place of ease? In Moab's case, this, this caused them to be arrogant. And falsely secure. Uh, it caused them to be complacent. To be complacent. It caused them to adopt an attitude that said, don't bother me. I got this. Go bother someone else. It became, Moab was a nation of people that was prideful. And again, I give you a quote. Again, I don't know where I got it. My, uh, who knows? But hey, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Think about that. If you're prideful, it, you, it doesn't bother you, but everybody around you, now they get sick of it. I'm not saying they get sick of you, but that's probably the truth. They get sick. Moab had found that place, and God was judging them. He uses this statement, they were settled on their dregs. If you're looking at the old King James, it'll say settled on their lees, L-E-E-S. Moab was settled on their dregs. The New American Standard Bible reads verse 11, the first part of verse 11 this way. Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed like wine on its dregs. Undisturbed. I like undisturbed, but God doesn't always walk that way. God, for some reason, loves to disturb us. Why does he love to disturb us? To move us from one point to another. There is there is no rocking chair on a front porch in God's kingdom. Obviously, we get physical rest, but as far as progressing in him, there's no there's no place where we arrive and we say, oh, this is pretty good. I think I'll just stay right here. God doesn't work that way. Like wine on its dregs. Now, some of what I'm, I'm in, in the interest of full disclosure, some of the issue or the points that I'm going to give you today, 
I gained from reading a new wine magazine by Bob Mumford over 40 years ago. I don't remember all that said, but some of this came from Brother Bob. And so we learned that Jeremiah is using a winemaking metaphor here in talking about settled on his dregs. And, and I've never made wine uh, that I know of. I might have let some grape juice get too old or something. I don't know. But the, the metaphor that he's using is that you would create this bottle that you're making wine, and you would let that bottle sit, and you would allow the dregs or the sediment or the pulp, whatever terms you want to use, you would allow it to settle, but you would let it sit there a while to gain some flavor and strength. And then at some point, you would take that bottle and pour it over into another bottle, leaving behind the dregs. And you would always have some more dregs in the next bottle. And you would let it sit a while. It was purposely allowed to sit. And then it would be poured into another. And at some point, you had pure wine. Some point you had, and, and all, all the while it had gained flavor. It had gained strength as it was being moved from bottle to bottle. And Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was using this metaphor. And he's saying that Moab was still cloudy. Why was Moab still cloudy? He said, you're settled. You're settled on your dregs. You have not allowed yourself to be poured from one bottle to the next. Our call as the church of Jesus Christ and as those members who make up the church of Jesus Christ, our call is to become clear, sparkling, aromatic wine. Be those who have been through the tipping from one bottle to the other. And what he addresses with Moab is the danger of settling and refusing to change. Settling, that's what he says about this. They have settled and they have refused to change. And I want to point this out, and we must remember this. Each next glory is God-ordained. Every time that you would take that bottle and pour it into another one, the next one is God-ordained. It wasn't like God was saying, why are you here? This is terrible. No, God God poured Noab into the first bottle. And whatever glory you're in today, whatever phase of life you're in today, whatever position you're in today, God is ordering your steps. When God gets ready to move you from one step to the other, don't think that it's the devil. Or don't think where you've been is the devil. We as human beings have a tendency. When God begins to move us into another area or we see something we haven't seen before, we somehow we gravitate to this idea, well, I must have been following the devil. No, you've been following God. Remember Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, they're going up the mountain. Isaac's carrying the wood uh, upon which he was going to be sacrificed to, to burn. Uh, which, by the way, indicates he was at least old enough to carry the wood. They're going up the mountain, and God has told Abraham, go up there and sacrifice your son. So Abraham, in obedience, goes up the mountain. Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord's going to provide the sacrifice. So they go up. He lays Isaac on the table, lays the wood out, and and, uh, raises his knife. To kill his his only son. And God not once but twice says, Abraham, 
Abraham, stop. Don't do this. Now, if you're Abraham, you got to be confused. Okay, God, make up your mind. You told me to sacrifice my son, and now you're telling me you have a different plan. Can I tell you that's how God works? Just because God has changed your direction or changed his plan, it doesn't mean that he's uh, schizophrenic. It means that he's taking you from one glory to another. And when you and I go from that one glory to the other, when we go from from this glory to the next latter glory, we're leaving undesirable elements behind in our lives. If you've walked with the Lord Jesus very long at all, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You remember the day when you had certain characteristics and certain idiosyncrasies and habits and such in your life. And through time, through circumstances, mostly through challenges and difficulty, a lot of the things you used to deal with, you don't deal with today. If we don't, if we're not allowed, if we don't allow God to move us from one glory to the next, then we, our old life smells the same. He said, uh, this is a nice way of God putting it, but he said, uh, his taste remains in him and his scent is not changed. That's a nice way of saying you stink. You got a bad odor, dude. That's a nice way of saying You're not desirable because you haven't allowed yourself to be changed from one glory to the other. And our effectiveness is diluted or marginalized when we don't let God process us. And somebody's watching this and they're thinking, my goodness, I thought this Christian life was just about, if I could quit cussing and drinking, I was doing pretty good. Well, that's good. You should do those things. But it's far more than that. It's a journey. So I'm going to give us four principles from these verses about change. Uh, they're not complicated, but we see them in the text and how God deals with Moab. And the first one is this, that God intends for us to embrace the next glory. God intends for us to embrace the next glory. Change is God's plan. Movement is God's plan. Changing of our character for the better is God's plan. And so we as human beings, the one thing God never has done and never will do is violate you. God will not force you to receive his plan of change. So he's saying that Moab should have and we should embrace whatever that next glory is. Whether it be the church, whether it be individuals. In a similar vein, The second principle is this, God will not contend with us regarding change. I've already said that, really. But he won't fight us. If God wanted robots, he could have made robots. He did not make robots. He made people who could make a choice. Obviously, Adam and Eve, and of course the primary responsibility for that fell on Adam, made the wrong choice. If God would have wanted robots, that's when he would have had a robot. But no, he didn't. He wanted people who would love him and worship him and be his vice regents in the earth. By the way, I grew up hearing this. God created Adam and Eve because he needed fellowship. 
All right, in, in the theological term that we learned in the Deep South when I was growing up, it's this, hogwash. Look that one up. God did not create humanity because he was lonely or because he needed fellowship. I remember the late Ern Baxter saying numerous times that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are a sweet society all to themselves. God didn't create us because he needed fellowship. He created us because he was a loving God. He wanted to share life with us. And he wanted humanity to be his vice regents in the earth. And that's why he told Adam and Eve, you have dominion over everything. Replenish the earth. Another topic for another day. Here, here's another principle. If change is not affected, certain conditions will be manifested. If change is not affected, certain conditions will be manifested. Do I have a slide for that, William? I must have slipped on that one. What are the conditions? He said, they will tip him over and they will empty his vessels, and shatter his jars. Now, here's what you don't want to hear. That if we refuse to change as a nation, as a church, as individuals, if we refuse to change, God will send someone or something that's going to tip over our jars. As a matter of fact, it says in the ESV and, and also the New American Standard, he's going to break our jars. He's going to upset our apple cart. Do any of you feel like your apple cart has been upset? Yeah, absolutely. You say, well, is God doing that? Well, if he is or he isn't, we don't need to miss it. But he said in the case of Moab, I'm going to send folks to knock your jars over and to break them. I'm going to upset your world. Our world is upset today. What, what conditions will be manifested? Well, personality issues. If you refuse to allow God to process you and to bring you from one point to the other and to grow you in him, uh, you'll become undesirable to be around. Your personality will be less than, um, well, let's just say less than what you want it to be, and less, and especially less than what other people would want it to be. Your demeanor will change. You'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. I talk to people, man, I, I don't, this is happening or that's happening or that's not happening. And I'm miserable. Well, sometimes that's because we have not submitted to God's process, but we have not embraced the next latter glory. We have sat down where we are and we have closed off our heart to change. Tom Landry, the football coach from the Dallas Cowboys, said a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see. So you can be who you have always known you could be. We don't want to change. We don't want to embrace the difficulties. We don't want to embrace the challenges. But if we will, the results are so much greater. If we resist change, if we resist God changing us, we can be assured that corrective measures will follow. Corrective measures. Because God, as I've said many times this morning, God is processing you. Whether you want him to or not, whether you know he is or not, he is processing you. And if you will resist the process, I'm going to go back to another quote that Bob Mumford is known for saying, and it's this. It's a tongue 
twister, so hang on. God will fix a fix to fix you. But if you fix the fix before he fixes you, God has no choice but to fix another fix to fix you. Now go ahead and say that seven times real fast. The point is, is that God is not giving up on us. God will not cancel his plans for you because you resist. God will not uh, disregard you because you have decided to stay where you are, proverbially speaking, in your walk with Christ. He's not going away. If you try to fix the fix that he's given, he's going to fix another fix. And God will keep on fixing another fix until the fix takes. And we understand. So we remember the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. We remember that the next stage, phase, position in our life will be greater than the one we've been in. This may not mean geographical, although I believe that some of you watching me this morning, because of the world circumstances and because of the the circumstances in our nation, I believe some of you are going to see a geographical relocation. Oh, you get the, he said, we're going to Africa. See, that's what everybody says. I don't want to commit to God because he's going to send me to Africa. Well, maybe Africa needs you, but that's not what I'm talking about. And, and that applies to whoever that applies to. That's great deep theology, I know, but that's all I can say about that. But the, the latter glory is greater than the former glory. We're not going to turn, but remember in Acts 10, Peter is at the Tanner's house. He goes up on the roof to pray and he goes into a trance and God shows him a sheet with animals on there that he would consider to be unclean. And God said in the trance, eat those animals. I'm not going to do that. That would defile me. And it happened numerous times to finally God got his attention. And, and what was he planning for? He was planning to send Peter into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, unclean. And he wanted him to minister to him. Peter at first resisted the change. He resisted the idea of going into a Gentile's house, going and uh, touching something that's unclean. But at the end of the day, he submitted himself to God's change. And God said, there's going to be some guys downstairs right now waiting for you. And of course, he went downstairs and they took him to the house of Cornelius, and we know the story. He preached to the house of Cornelius. The Holy Spirit fell. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues, and then he baptized them in water. Revival in the house of the unclean. What happened? What happened to Peter? From the time he was on the tanner's roof to the time he sat, stood in Cornelius' house, what happened? His very belief system was being challenged. I heard long before I met him, I heard Brother Charles Simpson say one time, if your doctrine isn't changing a little bit every now and then, something's wrong. And my first response to that, Brother Charles, I'm sorry, was what in the world is he talking about? Well, now I know what he's talking about. God challenges your belief system because we attract barnacles. We attract ideas along the way. That are not God. And sometimes God has us seeing something and then God says, now I'm going to show you something else. And we say to God, I don't want to see that. I like this better. He had a limited view. God wants to expand your view. He had a change of perspective because he saw people and circumstances differently than he had when he went up onto the roof. He saw things different. He saw people differently. 
He had a change of capacity. Why? He now had room for the mission. Unless God can change your capacity, you don't have room to do the mission. He didn't, but he did when God was through with him. The Father is continually changing us as we progress in our mission. He changes us, and you know I've referred to this verse several times today, changes us from from one glory to another. And it is obviously 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Here's the key. From one degree of glory to another. Well, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. From one degree of glory to another. It's incremental. It's a building upon building. The Old Testament talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. And God is changing you and he's changing me into the image of Jesus Christ. And he didn't just flip a big switch and do it all at once, but he's doing incrementally. Children of Israel were told by God, I'm going so I'm going to give you the land, but I'm only going to give it to you little by little because you would be overtaken by all the giants in the land. And little by little, God is bringing us along so that we understand the next latter glory. And, of course, the sign that most of you have seen says, please be patient. God has not finished with me yet. If you're breathing, come on, worship team. If you're breathing, I can promise you, God is not finished with you yet. If you're still with us, God has a mission for you. He has a purpose for you. He wants to move you from one glory to another glory. And here's the key. When you get to the, quote, another glory, there's another one in your future, too. Whatever next glory we're in at the moment, God's ordained that. We must consider as individuals and we must consider as a church and as the church what the next glory looks like. I can promise you this. I can promise you that whenever we are able to gather together again, I don't know when that's going to be or what configuration that's going to look like yet, but whenever that time comes, church will never again be the same. We're not going to go back to what all we used to do and whatever. We have a new normal, saints. We have a new normal and it's changed. And it will always be changed. I, I encourage you to embrace the change as God's church. And I, embrace, I encourage you to embrace the change as it applies to your life. Now I've asked the worship team to close us out by leading us in this song. And let this be our prayer. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. And change my heart, O oh God, so that I can be like you. So join with our worship team this morning as they sing this song. And let it be our prayer. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. 
Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. You are the potter. Because you are the tuning in this morning or whenever you're watching this video and joining in worship together. May God minister to you and speak to you. And may we all pray, God, change our heart that we would be like you. You have a good day and have a good week. Talk to you soon.